Well, good morning. If you will, take your Bibles and And you have James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. These are the words of the Lord. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not, stumble in, does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast, of bird, of reptile, and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word today, we know that as we even hear it, that we need your help. We know that left to ourselves, we are sinners. So Father, would you come and tend to our lives, tend to our hearts, tend to our tongues today, that we may look more and more like Jesus, the one who gave himself for us, for it's in his name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Usually when meeting someone for the first time, one of the first things they will say to me is, you're not from around here, are you? Since moving to Maryland, I have heard that more times than I can count. Friends, it's not just those who are from Tennessee that speak with an accent. I can pick out a Southern Marylander just like that. It's interesting, the longer though we live away from a place, a place we grew up, a place that we're accustomed to, a place that, that has shaped us, the more we begin to take on other 
other things or become less like where we're from. The longer I've lived away from Tennessee, the more my accent has toned down, believe it or not. I was telling someone just yesterday that I, the other day I was cleaning out some stuff and I found the cassette tape of my very first sermon. Y'all know what a cassette tape is, right? Very first sermon. And if you were to listen to that, it's painful for me to listen to that. It's very painful. But if you were to listen to that, not only was it a bad delivery, but, but I sound like really a person from Tennessee. Very, very interesting. But you know, the longer you live in a place, the more you, you may not become like it, but the more you become less like you were, at least in your talk. Maybe you don't become quite like the native speaker where you're presently at, but you don't sound quite like you used to. As I thought about that, I thought about how our tongues say a lot about us. Just by speaking, people can know a lot about you. They can know maybe where you're from. They might know about the things that are important to you or things that are not important, things that matter or things that don't matter. Just by speaking, people begin to get a window into your life because of what you say and how you might say it. Our tongues say a lot about us. Not only do our tongues say a lot about us, our tongues also wield a lot of power and influence. There are people who hang on the things you say. They, they, they move on the things you say or don't say. Especially if you're in some kind of leadership responsibility, what you say has impact on people below you. If you're not in leadership, what, what has been said to you impacts what you do or may not do. If you're a parent, you certainly have influence and power just by the things that you say. If you're a spouse, you have the same thing. If, if you're single, you even have the opportunity to influence people with your lips, with your tongue. You know, today we come to a passage that addresses this, this part of our body that really impacts the rest of us. We could say that James is continuing his theme of faith and works, how works are reflective of our faith, good works are reflective of our faith, and now he kind of uses the example of the tongue to highlight this reality that the, the things that we say or the how, how, how that we say certain things is reflection of the true condition of our hearts. It's interesting and some of you are gonna think I'm picking on you because some of you have said this to me in the last 24 hours. I'm not picking on you. I'd planned to say this long before I talked to you. But it's interesting when you say something like this, hey, we're gonna be looking at taming the tongue today or this coming Sunday, and people kinda of like, oh yeah, I need some help there, and they just kinda of laugh it off. Well, friends, I would suggest to you it's no laughing matter. When it comes to the use and misuse of the tongue, that is not something to simply laugh off. It is not something to just flippantly say, oh yeah, I struggle with that and never do anything about it. And so by God's grace this morning, we want to open his word and ask for his Holy Spirit to help us not just realize that we often have issues with the things that we say and with our tongue, but to plead for his sanctifying help. That's my prayer as we open this 
scripture today is that he would help us, that he would change us. So as we open this chapter, we want to look at several observations. I want us to look at a warning, a reminder, and an exhortation. So we're gonna divide this chapter, or these first 12 verses up, a, a warning, a reminder, which is several reminders, so not just one reminder, but several, a warning, a reminder, and an exhortation. Let's look at first the warning, verse one of chapter three. James introduces the theme of the tongue by recognizing its impact and its usage among those who teach. Now, teachers in this day and time, in the day and time in which James lived, teachers were held in high regard. I'm not saying that teachers aren't held in high regard today. If you're a teacher, we have much respect for your position and role. But in this ancient Mediterranean world, that to be a teacher was something that most everyone wanted to aspire to become. And that cultural reality carried over into the church. Because of its popularity and the greater culture around it, many, even in the church, aspired and wanted to become teachers. Obviously, it's an important role. Christian teachers have a critical role to play in the church, not just because they're talking, but because of the content in which they're presenting or communicating. And so as more and more people expressed interest in becoming teachers in the church, James is saying, listen, not so fast. This is one of those ministries that, that you want to be careful in volunteering for. You need to realize what it is you're asking for, what it is you're committing to. And he highlights two reasons here. People should be careful to pursue the role of teacher in the church. One, teachers face a stricter judgment. What James is saying, what he's not saying is that if you are a teacher, you automatically get a hard time at judgment. Not what he's saying, although he is saying this. He is saying that as one who regularly communicates truth to others, you will be more scrutinized, more closely judged according to what you say. Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke chapter 12, verse 48, Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. As a teacher, as one who represents the truth, God's word, and communicating that to others, that is a significant responsibility. Much is given to the person that is going to handle the content of God's word. And much of that person will be required. Since teachers, by, their very, by, by the very nature of their role, use their tongues more, more often than others to communicate information, there is more of an opportunity for such a person to misspeak or to communicate wrong, wrongly or falsely, lead others astray. And so, based upon that, teaching is not something to be entered into lightly or flippantly or carelessly. You will stand accountable for the things you teach. Now, before all our home group, equipped teachers, children's Sunday school teachers resign, let's clarify some things. There is no such thing as a perfect teacher, except for Jesus. Jesus was perfect, that's a given. 
There's no such thing in the church as a perfect teacher. There's no such thing as a perfect pastor. There's no such thing as one who gets it right every single time and never makes a mistake. And friends, God is quite merciful in allowing us, flawed as we are, weak as we are, as as teachers in the church to to participate in this kingdom work. I'm reminded that, that this is something that the apostle Paul understood. In fact, if you were to, to turn to to the book of 1 Timothy. There in 1 Timothy chapter one, this is what Paul says. Paul was quite the teacher. He was quite the one, quite, quite an instructor of truth. And this is what Paul says. He says, I, in 1 Timothy one verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, because I'm perfect. That's not what he says. He says, who judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of the Lord Jesus overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, whom Paul says, I am the foremost. Friends, there is no such thing as a perfectly righteous and sanctified teacher. Paul was quick to say, to to sing praise of, of Christ who came into the world to save sinners and then he was quick to acknowledge of whom I am the foremost. You remember Isaiah when he got the vision of the Lord there in Isaiah 6 and saw the holiness of God and saw the worthiness of God and, and, he, and he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. He was a prophet. So there's no such thing as a perfect teacher and, and God gives teachers to his church. He calls them from within the church. He, he, has, he has always done this. Ephesians chapter four, verse one, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So, while it must be kept in mind that no one should run towards the teaching opportunity flippantly or without thought or with the wrong motive, at the same time, God calls teachers forth in the church to be a blessing to the church. Teachers will be held to a stricter judgment based upon what they have taught. Keep that in mind. Number two, another reason that we shouldn't run into this is because teachers are sinners. Well, you say, well, all of us are sinners. That's right. But as one who is called to teach, you need to remember that fact. God only saves sinners. And he only calls and equips sinners in the church to serve. And here James reminds us that we all continue to stumble in a variety of ways. In verse one, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know, the first point I mentioned, you, will be, you who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Two, for we all stumble in many ways. 
And we all sin in a variety of ways. That's what he's saying there. Not in, in um, the number of times, but in the v- variety. There's all kinds of ways that we sin. And then he hones in on this. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. He's reminding us here that we stumble in a variety of ways. Yes, we sin in, a, in many different ways, but the misuse of the tongue is one such way we all need to give careful attention to, specifically those who teach. He reminds us just how difficult it is to bridle our tongues, but he acknowledges, he does acknowledge in verse two, that if someone is, does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. That, the word perfect there is likely is a reference, uh, uh, another way you could think of that is mature. Uh, a mature man, uh, one who is, is capable He's also able to bridle his whole body. So because of the tendency for us to misuse our tongues as sinners, and because teachers will be held to a stricter judgment, not many should become teachers. But some of you should, because God has gifted you and is calling you for such a thing. Now let me just say a quick word of, we have many in our congregation who teach, whether it's children's, youth, Adults on Sunday mornings or throughout the week, we have many who give, them, who give their, their, their week to serving this body and teaching, and we are so thankful for you. We are thankful for you and the time and investment that you give to this body of believers here at Redeeming Grace. We're thankful that God has not only called you to himself, but he's gifted you and he's called you to be part of the teaching ministry of this church. And we, are, we, we know that there are many, of, many others that God will raise up within this body and, and bring forth for this, for this assignment as well. We thank God for you. So you have this warning, specifically to teachers, that not many of you should become teachers because of the tendency to sin with our tongues and because of the stricter judgment, because of the scrutiny to which our content will be judged. But then we see that he gives us a reminder, and that really carries us through the rest of this passage. Moving on in verse two, while James begins here with a warning to the teachers, his, his aim is not just to, to hone in here, to zero in on the teachers. He now expands this warning to all Christians by reminding us about several realities concerning the tongue. Let's look at these. We could call them, or I am calling them reminders. He's giving us several reminders about the tongue that, that applies to not just teachers, it applies to all of us. Let's look first at the tongue's determining influence. Look at verses two through five. Again, he says, if, you're, uh, if you don't stumble in what you say, he's a perfect man able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They're so large, they're driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Again, he says, if anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, he is a perfect or complete or mature man that can bridle his whole body. The point he is making is that if we are able to restrain our tongue, hard as it may be, 
If we're able to show some kind of disciplined restraint on our tongue and what we communicate, then we should also have the same capability of disciplining the rest of our bodies. Since sins of speech are most difficult to stop, if we're able to demonstrate discipline in doing that, then we should not find it as difficult to battle against other sins. Not that other sins aren't hard, as hard, or even more difficult at times to, to battle against. But James is saying here, he's, he's saying that the tongue is, is kind of a, a test case for the rest of your life. If you wanna do some hardcore examination, maybe you should start with the things that you say. It's kind of a window into the rest of you. A window in which everyone sees. A window in which everyone hears. Here in verses three and four, he illustrates the powerful influence of the tongue by referring to examples. Two illustrations that he uses, the horse and its bridle, the, the, the harness that goes over the head of the horse that is controlled by the, the rider so that it directs the horse, the rest of the body of the horse to where, where it needs to go. The rudder of a ship, the massive ship that's in this day and time had massive sails that were guided by the wind, but, but it wouldn't go in the right direction unless that small rudder on the bottom was turned in a specific way. Something so small that wields such influence. In the same way, if the tongue is not harnessed, the entire person is affected. Friends, listen, if you do not learn to discipline and purify your tongue, you will not discipline and purify the rest of your life. How you speak says a lot about how you live. Now, James makes it quite clear, the impact of our tongue. The impacts of our tongue cannot be underestimated. We can do much good with our tongues, we can do much harm with our tongues. We're gonna consider both. Before we consider the negative ways our tongue does damage, let's consider some of the positive potential of the tongue. And you can go to Proverbs. We're gonna kinda of see how Proverbs 15 correlates here and how, how it helps us see both. Before we get to Proverbs 15, Proverbs 10, 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Proverbs 15, one, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Proverbs 15, verse 22, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 16, verse 24, Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. We could go on and on. Go to Romans chapter 10 and talk about how the tongue's use in evangelism is vital and critical. If, how are they to hear without someone speaking? So just there in those few examples, we see how the, the tongue can be life-giving, it can be calming, it can serve as a counselor, it can serve as encouragement, it can do much good. Friends, it should remind us that we need to use our words wisely. We need to be disciplined enough to ask the hard questions when we're quick to speak. Will this glorify God? Will, will this build up or tear down? Will this be useful or will it be harmful, useless? The tongue can do good. It has much influence and it can be an influencer for good. Second reality, the tongue's destructive power, verses five through eight. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. 
The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. While the tongue can be used to do good, it can be used to do much damage. He compares here the, the tongue to a fire. Just as a wildfire causes widespread destruction when it burns out of control, so the tongue can bring about widespread destruction in the things that you say. Notice the following phrases. They're primarily in verses six through eight. It's a world of unrighteousness. It stains the whole body. It's untamable. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. There is good reason why James said what he said back in chapter one, verse 19, that we should be quick to hear and slow to speak. You see the things that we say and even the tone in which we say them can do much harm. Proverbs 15:1, a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 15:2, the mouth of a fool gushes folly. Proverbs 15:4, a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Ephesians 4, verse 29, in the New Testament, Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Our tongues have an extraordinary power. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, we read there that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Did you hear that? Let me say it again. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. What you say is never neutral. It will either direct someone towards life or it will direct someone towards death. You may not realize the destructive power of the tongue. But all you have to do is look at relational conflict, broken trust, anger, hatred, resentment. On and on we could go. Friends, we need to pray as the psalmist did in Psalm 141 verse 3. This, this should be a prayer we all pray. Psalm 141 verse three, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Because even as Paul said, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, he says, but only such as is good for building up. That it may give grace to those who hear. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips because I know the temptation and the tendency and how much damage and how much harm my tongue can do. It's like a wildfire. 
has destructive power. Then notice another reminder, the tongue's inconsistency in verses nine and 10. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. You know, we can boil, boil down one of the greatest challenges we have with our tongues to one word. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. It doesn't take long for the people around you to figure out whether or not you're the real deal or not just by the things that you say, how you communicate. Look how inconsistent our tongue can be. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. With it, we come into a gathering like this and we sing, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Lamb of God for sinners slain. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And two hours from now, we're ripping to shreds some idiot whoever that person is for you made in the image of God friends hypocrisy can be most most evident in our lives through the things we say that's why we need to pay careful attention. That's why we need to pray. Set a guard, O oh Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Help me. Help me because I know, I know my tendency is to say things that I ought not say. I know that my tendency is to, to be critical, to be harsh, to be hateful. God, help me. So why we need to pray. Pray. And we need to pursue the grace of God in this area. You know, while, while James is, is talking about the use of our tongue, let me just say this. He's not writing in a day where social media had become popular. James didn't have a Twitter account. And while the same truths apply to our tongues, I, say, I think that we could apply these same principles to the things that we type. Because in this day and time, our fingertips are an extension of our tongues. What we say or what we type can either build up or tear down. It can either be a fountain of life or it can be full of deadly poison. And sometimes we don't need to just be quick to listen and slow to speak. We need to be quick to discern and slow to type. Remember friends, your words will never be neutral. They will always leave a lasting impact for good or for bad, for death or for life. What you say in person or what you say through social media or other avenues will leave a lasting impact. And you know, sometimes I think that in our day and time, social media is worse because sometimes you may say something to someone and they'll forget. But when you've typed something, it's always there. We need to remember 
the tongue's inconsistency. I'm not saying, and James is not saying that you should never speak it, you should never type, you should never do anything. All he's saying is we should be slow to. Shouldn't be our first immediate response. And, and I think that we would all do well to speak less. It would serve us all well if we would just speak less and listen more. I was reading a, an article just this week of, of how the, and I don't have the numbers, but of how the Bible is, is so many words and so much less compared to all of these other popular volumes like, I mean, we could go on and on, Harry Potter series and a bunch of others that it compared the Bible to and how all of these had all of these words and the Bible just had this significantly less compared to all of these other writings throughout history. And yet it's totally sufficient for everything we need for life and godliness. Maybe we ought to follow the example of our Savior, the example of the Holy Spirit, through the things that we say. Finally, an exhortation. After James makes his point of how good and bad the tongue can be, he says, listen, and then, then he, the, he kind of find, finishes, the, finishes us off with the hypocrisy bit there in verses nine and 10. And then he just says, my brothers, these things ought not be. Well, that was very helpful, James. Just slash me to pieces and say, don't do that. That's what he's saying. Here's what you do. Here's how we tend to live. Here's what our tongues can do. Stop. What James does here in verses 10 and 11 and 12 is he concludes through this exhortation of my brothers, these things ought not be so by showing us how, back to the inconsistency, how the things that we say are a reflection of the reality of our hearts. If you look at the book of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruits. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. James is saying to us, if we are truly born of God, if we are truly a new creation in Christ, then our good works will validate that faith. Back in chapter two, and now he's fleshing that out here as an example through our language. If, if we are truly born of God, if we have been truly made a new creation in Christ, that will be proven, demonstrated through how we speak. 
James is correct. No man can tame the tongue. You don't have it in you. Let me encourage you. You don't have it in you. You don't have it in you to just will enough power to speak good every day. Some of you do better than others, but at the end of the day, there's, there's gonna be a moment where you speak harshly or you're critical or you say something that is not helpful. You don't have it in you to do anything other than that. You feel encouraged? But listen, no man can tame the tongue but Jesus can redeem it. Jesus can redeem it. Jesus was our silent substitute. You remember when he was arrested and he went to the cross taking the punishment that our lying and our critical, hateful tongues deserve? He went beaten and crucified, barely uttering a word. As Sinclair Ferguson put it, he was silent because of every word that has proceeded from your lips, because of every word that provides adequate reason for God to damn you for all eternity, because you have cursed him or his image. The Lord Jesus came into the world to bear the judgment of God against the sin of our tongues. Think about that. Jesus bore the full wrath of God for every single time you have criticized someone made in the image of God. For every time that you have lied, for every time that you have been hateful or hostile or critical or rude or arrogant or, or you've said things that were just false, on and on we could go. For all of those things, Jesus bore the full weight and wrath of God. Silently bearing what we deserved. Friends, if you find yourself, like the rest of us, struggling with the things that you say, you find yourself a complainer, one who likes to grumble, one who likes to be critical. You know, I think that we don't even have to be negative. It is all, any sin is negative, right? but something I struggle with is, is quick wit. How many times have I just said something about someone to try to be funny? And this person is an image bearer of God. Friends, I know I've done a lot of damage with my tongue. I've been angry. I've been critical, I've been a smart aleck, I've said hurtful things, I've been hateful, all in this past week. But one of the graces of God, even in my sin, is that God, God has reminded me even through my own tongue, just how much I need Jesus. When I misspeak, when I'm angry at my children, when I'm frustrated with someone, when I wittingly say something that's supposed to be funny about someone or I'm kind of a smart aleck, 
It's a reminder. Adam, you don't have it in you. You don't have it in you to make yourself right with God. But Jesus bore the full wrath in my place. And Jesus reminds us in Matthew 12 that the condition of our tongues is a window to the condition of our hearts. And I think that the call at the end of the day is not to leave here to say, okay, God, I'm going to do better with my words this week. I think if you do that, you've probably missed most of what was said. I hope that you do that. I hope you, that's part of the plan. But if you're not dealing with your hearts, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, you won't get very far. If you don't realize that your heart needs transformed, you're not gonna get very far. See, because the, the tongue is simply a window to the hearts. And what we say and how we say it is ultimately a reflection of what we believe and what we want, what we desire. Jesus, can't say it any clearer. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you'll be justified and by your words you'll be condemned. Because when I read that, I just want to cower in fear. Because if that's true, which it is, none of us will be able to stand that day. But we know that Jesus has come and he always spoke in righteousness and in truth. He never lied, he never grumbled, he never said hurtful things, he was never hateful. He was angry, but without sin. And yet he died in the place of those who say angry, critical, hurtful things. Our tongues reveal a lot about our hearts. And friends, we must weigh our words carefully. We need to learn to be slower to speak most of the time. There's time to speak. Writer of Proverbs in chapter 10, verse 19, put it well. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. You know, the next time someone says to me, you're not from around here, are you? I'll probably smile like I normally do and say, no, I'm not. But friends, it doesn't matter where you're from geographically. Shouldn't that be what people say about us if we're a Christian, no matter where we're from? Wouldn't it be a good thing? If no matter where you're from, when you left the room, people began to talk about you and said, they're not from here, are they? Not because you speak with some geographical accent, but because you speak with a gospel accent, a tongue 
that is a reflection of the heart that has been redeemed by the grace of God. Oh, brothers and sisters, I pray. I pray that we would be a people known by what we say because we are a people whose hearts have been transformed by grace. May God in his grace change us and sanctify us. Our tongues reveal at the end of the day a lot about who we truly are. Friend, what does your tongue say about you? We could play a tape of the things that you said this week right here in front of everyone. What would they say about you? Praise God for his grace that he forgives us even when we use our tongues to do much harm so that we can be redeemed and therefore use our tongues to do much good. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you that we can be, not just be reminded, but be exhorted to be confronted by truth. Father, the reality is, is that all of us have fallen tongues marked by the curse of sin. All of us this week, if not this very day, have already said things that have been critical and hurtful harsh, hateful. Father, if it, if it were not for your grace, our tongues alone would condemn us. Father, would you help us to see where we have much work to do? Would you help, Lord, to see that even through the things that we say, we can bring death or life. We can do good or we can do harm. And Father, if our hearts are not right, if our hearts have not been yet transformed, I pray that that's where we would begin today. That we would realize that, Lord, we are fallen before a holy God and that you have given us everything that we need to be reconciled to you through Jesus Christ. And Lord, that if someone's here today and they're not a Christian, that Lord, you would just show them their need for Christ. They would call upon him today and receive forgiveness and be reconciled to you. And Father, for those that are here that have done that, by your grace they have seen the truth and by your grace they have been called to you in salvation. Father, we know that we are still a work in progress. We know that we still struggle and we still fail. God, would you forgive us? Father, would you help us to leave here today, Lord, not just with a resolve to do better with our tongues, but Lord, with a resolve to have our hearts further conformed to the image of Christ. And that our hearts would be reflective of truth, and that through the things that we say and the things that we do, that those things would be consistent 
with who we are. God, would you have mercy upon us? And would you help us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.